This is The Truth About Tech. I'm your host, Tori Belechi, and today we're going to be talking about what is the future of geospatial technology. We have Ben Lewis. He is a geospatial expert from Harvard University. Thank you so much for joining us. What is, like, can you explain geospatial technology? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, great question. So um, it is, um, now it is everything. And not to be glib, but uh, just about all data now, especially when we think about things like big data, uh, have a spatial component. Uh, and it really is just a matter of how that spatial component is, is defined or um, manifested. So for example, uh, we all walk around with uh, computers in our pockets that are mm -hmm. constantly gathering data and every bit of that data also knows something about where, uh, where it was gathered uh, or what system it was talking to and where that system was. And, uh, and it's not just spatial, it's temporal. So um, that's just one little kind of example of how geospatial, especially through GPS, um, geopositioning systems, has kind of crept into to, to all of our data. Um, and some of these categories or distinctions that made sense 20, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the term GIS, you know, um, uh, they still mean something, but um, when, when we talk about what is what is spatial, what is geospatial? Um, it's, um, it's, it's become pretty, pretty, pretty vague, pretty cloudy. Um, so is that, is that on way. purpose? Is that on purpose that the government can track us, keep, keep, their, keep their eyes on us? No, I think it's really just the way technology has evolved. Um, not that governments don't like keeping their eyes on us. Um, uh, but frankly, it's the tech companies that do a much, much more effective job of not just keeping an eye on us, but monetizing that. Yeah. And be to the point where, I mean, they're the most powerful organizations in the world. Um, and we worry about a lot about Stop me if I go off on tangents because I'm. No, I, I love this that. because it, but, it is, it's, it's a little scary because you think about, you know, they're like, oh, I would never put a tracking device on so that they can keep keep a watch on us. And it's like you're voluntarily holding a tracking device if you have a cell phone. Like they, yeah, yeah. wherever you go, whatever you search for, I mean, yeah. it's crazy because, like, even if you're, you know, what I've heard is if you turn, if you don't turn your, your apps off, it'll listen. And it'll pick up on keywords, and all of a sudden, I'll start seeing things pop up in my, you know, Instagram feed or on, um, you know, just just in searches. And it's like it knows what I want or what I'm looking for. It's creepy. Yeah, right. And that's what you want, right? You want to be helped. You want it to know what you want, right? Right. That's what we all want, right? <laughs> so we're happily walking around with devices that make us mappable. Um, I'm not. I'm actually not worried about the privacy side. Um, I I might be if I was living in a totalitarian state, but 
Um, contrary to what some people might say, I think democracy is still alive and kicking here. And yeah. I think I think the I think the big issue is um, the amount of power that big tech companies have, and mm -hmm. that's really the interesting thing. I mean, they don't care about me, Ben Lewis. They don't care about me as an individual. I'm not worried about being tracked in my individual behavior. Okay. What what is what what what's going on is that they're they they can recognize me as one of maybe a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand people like me around the planet who mm -hmm. operate in similar ways, you know. And okay. so when they and when they can predict what I might do. Not very exactly, but even just a little bit better than chance alone would have allowed it, they can suddenly make insane amounts of money, which is the basis for our current um, uh, tech world, which is, yeah. there's a wonderful book that was written a few years ago called Surveillance Capitalism, which uh, was written by a Harvard Business School professor. And she basically makes the point brilliantly um, that when Google was looking around for a business model, um, when they had to, when they had to start making money back in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. investors said, look, you know, search is great, but how are you going to monetize it? Um, they came up with, um, with an ad. They came up with ads, as we all know. Right. The real innovation there was to use big data as a, as a way to predict people's behavior. Yeah. So if you are selling ads and you can even minute, you know, and you can predict whether somebody's gonna click on something based on all this other information you've gathered about them and cohorts like them, right? Yeah. Then you are kind of in the, you're in the perfect spot because you've got the ad brokers and then you've got, you actually control the system. So you can optimize the money there yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, so, and you and you can directly hit the person that wants that product or that service. And everybody wins, right? Yeah. And guess what? Space is a really important part of that calculation. Now, so explain to me, I mean, we're talking physical space as well as theoretical space, right? We're talking about physical. Let's just keep it on physical space because that's okay. crazy enough. You know, okay. I mean, I think. I think that I think if we're talking about geospatial, um, the geo part keeps us real, keeps us mm -hmm. down to earth. We're talking about geo <laughs> geospace. <laughs> Literally. That's on that's on the surface of the earth. Right. So everything that's geospatial is is saying something about something that happened on the surface of the earth. Yeah. Um, we're not talking about other planets. You can have you could have a Mars spatial and moon spatial and all that, you know, we're not talking about mind space or we're not talking about theoretical space. Right. We could go there, but what's, what, what we're really talking about is, here is, um, is uh, yeah, things that, things that happen in the real world or virtual representations of things happening in the world, right which is really so what it's all about so it's almost like you're using technology to map the surface of the earth 
Exactly. And that's a really, really cool way to distinguish between regular data, right? We have this term data, and then yeah. geospatial data. What's the difference? Geodata is actually modeling the real world. Yeah. Modeling. Like the way, you know, a physical model, like you build a model out of clay for mm -hmm. a for a river valley. You know how architects or planners right. yep. create yep. models of cities, right? So those are models. So a geospatial location is like the the fine element of a model, right? You have mm -hmm. a whole bunch of those points and you actually create surfaces. And that's how you, that's how you actually build um, virtual mountains, say, in a GIS system, is you'll right. go and you'll grab a whole lot of points and get their elevation, and then you just connect them together um, with a network, and and you've got a and, surface. And what kind of devices? I mean, I would you know what kind of devices are being used to create that map? Um, to create which map? So, like, map, I mean, you the, have satellites. You have satellites that help, right? GPS, um, but like what other forms of technology right. are, are so, creating, um, allowing yeah. us to create these digital maps? Right, so we have satellites that are gathering all kinds, they can gather pretty much any kind of data you want. Mm -hmm. um, we have airplanes, of course, um, and drones and then we have, and, and all kinds of sensors exist to run off of all of these different kinds of flying things. Mm -hmm. There's something called LIDAR, which yep. creates clouds of, which basically sends um, laser beams against whatever surface you're trying to map and figures out, and, and basically creates a cloud of points um, that can be joined together to create a surface. Gotcha. Um, and the, but there are, there are now a whole lot of ways of getting that kind of information without LIDAR. Uh, for example, just taking pictures of taking a bunch of overlapping photographs of the same place, mm -hmm. um, run through the right software will also let you get elevation information. The Truth About Tech is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the metaverse with the physical world using the internet of things. Everything from electric vehicles to smart cities to smart grids and digital twins. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data coming from public infrastructure and commercial sources, all highly curated for uses in areas as diverse as augmented reality, insurance calculations, or guiding delivery drones. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. No, so, no, what about our what about our phones in general? Like people who have cell phones. I mean, I know cell towers, they use cell towers for, you know, like murder to solve murders, where it's like somebody's cell phone pinged yeah. off of this tower. And then, right. you know, you see it when you're using your navigation maps where if you see a, a bunch of, you know, cars are slowing down, everybody's phone is telling the map there's traffic jam, and then you'll see a red line, right? Is yeah. that is there any kind of use of cell towers or cell phone technology? Yeah, 
Yeah, great question. So, you know, I meant we mentioned GPS. That's the satellite-based system that the government mm-hmm. put up back in the 90s. Uh, used to be only military, then it became available for civilian use. That kind of revolutionized everything. But, you know, people like cities, organizations like Google figured out right early that GPS was great, but it also uh, it also doesn't always work. So if you're in a place where uh, you you have a, a cover over you, you have you have tree cover, or you're in a building, GPS doesn't work. And also, GPS takes a lot of battery. It it consumes energy quite quite heavily. And so I don't know if you remember back when Google. Um, started building street maps and, and um, Google Street View. And they drove around yep, with yep. their little cars yep, with a yep, camera yep. on top and they mapped 360 on every road in the country. Yep. And then they started going around the world and they had all kinds of people complaining about privacy, of course. Yeah, right? it was like, hey, that's my well, car. Parked in the one driveway. thing they were doing as they were really smart when they did that. And they said, you know what? Um, to gather everything we can while we're driving around like this let's gather everything we can one thing they could gather was wi-fi hotspot so all you have everybody's house has a router in it that router um sends out and sends out its identity and cars driving past even if they're not hacking into your network they can see that you have a router yeah and so one thing that any organ, any company that wants to create their own improved version of GPS for certain situations is you can go and you can basically map all of the Wi-Fi hotspots wow. in the country. And because when you, drive, when you drive around and you're gathering that information, you're triangulating the location of the Wi-Fi hotspots. Right, right. See? And so you don't even have to know, you're not doing anything nefarious. That's all just like, that's digital exhaust that's out there free yeah. for the gathering, right? Yeah. And, um, and so Google and others use Wi-Fi a lot instead of GPS because it can be more accurate. It doesn't use battery. There's all kinds of advantages. And in addition, oh, by the way, um, cell towers can also be used to triangulate. And, and there, the, another interesting way, just to keep in mind, are mesh networks. So, um, you know, if you have what's a that? whole bunch what's, of people- what's, what's a mesh network? So a mesh network, imagine you're in a part of the world which doesn't have cell service. Okay. You don't have cell towers set up. Yeah. But everybody is, everybody has a device that can communicate out, say, 200 yards. Yeah. You know, like a, a small radio device can do that. And I'm, I think mobile phones, I don't know what the limit is, but something like that. Right. And ev- let's say everybody is living within a few hundred yards of each other and you have a whole village. If they're all running mesh network, first of all, they can all communicate without a cell tower with each other. That's fascinating. You know what? Because, I, you know, I've noticed that, you know, especially when you're driving using your your map, you know, if you're G- using your GPS and you get to a point where you're, you're no longer getting cell service, yet it's still navigating you on that map. Oh, well, keep in mind, cell service has nothing to do with GPS. Okay. 
So you can have your cell service non-existent. Let's say you're traveling another country. Okay. And you don't want to pay like a lot for the local cell service. Right. You don't have a, you don't have like a card or a plan there. You don't want to be roaming, but you want to map stuff. Right. So you can, there's no, there's no problem. Now, when you go to that country and you, let's say you're using Google Maps, Google Maps would need to download the local maps when you got there. And oh. then you would, but you wouldn't be able to. Gotcha. However, you could pre cache that. You just download it before you go while you are oh, on. Wow. That. Okay. That's and then cool. You go there, you've got the high resolution maps. And then guess what? You've got a dot on the map where you are that moves around because that's GPS. Yeah. So because that's GPS fast. has nothing to do with the cell network. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. It's a now and it's, how, how, like how this is kind of like a, a random, you know, speaking of GPS and geofencing. What like what how does that technology work? Oh, that's a great question. So the really cool thing about geofencing is. Um, you know, one application, you could have um, an application on your device um, that basically it's, you could say, you could call it some rules and <clears throat> it could be something like, let me know when I cross this boundary, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that's using, so basically all it's doing is you could have the map local on your phone, the, the, the data with the boundaries, or it could even be just checking with a server, am I here, or am I there? And that server, um, either way, whether it's happening on your phone or on the remote server, mm -hmm. you've got polygons. So that's the one of the, um, um, what's the word, primitive elements of a GIS. GIS is made of points, lines, and polygons. Okay. Okay, and then, remote sensed imagery is made of rasters. You think of remote sensed imagery as like a photograph, but you know how when you zoom in, you take a picture of, you know, straight down on the earth, you have a photograph. Mm -hmm. um, you zoom in on that and you have these little pixels, right? Well, satellite imagery is really just that. It's, it's a whole bunch of pixels. And for each pixel, which is a little square of resolution, which could be, it could be two inch, that pixel could represent two inches on the ground or it could represent 30 meters on the ground. Gotcha. It depends on the lens. It depends on the device or the elevation of the camera. Okay. That's raster data. That's one broad part. That's one core piece of GIS information. Um, and imagine every one of those pixels can have a whole bunch of uh, radiometric light frequencies associated with it, which you gotcha. can analyze later. Right? And then you have points, lines, and polygons, and those are called vectors. And a point is just a latitude and a longitude. A line is at the, you know, at minimum two lat, lat longs with, with something that says these are connected, right? A polygon is, needs to be at least three, but of course it could be millions. And it's, each one is just a bunch, you know, it's a bunch of lines that make a closed thing. Now with points, lines, and polygons, you can pretty much represent anything. Right, roads are yep. lines. Right. Points could be a city. Polygons are county boundaries, country boundaries, census yep. boundaries. Right, and then yep. you just link that boundary to 
a database. They have an ID, like a, you know, like a spreadsheet with one column in it, which is your ID. That matches a polygon, which has that ID. That's a GIS system. Gotcha. Um, so with geofencing, you've got a bunch of polygons somewhere, and you're just checking your current location against the polygon to see if you're inside it or not. And so that's just, that's how you build your fence. That's a fence. That's the fence is the polygon typically. Right. You know, and, yep. and it's just a protocol by which you're seeing if you're in it or you're out of it, or you're crossing into another one. Um, but it was kind of like, you remember that whole fad with the, uh, the Pokemon? Oh yeah. Where they were just geo placing all these little yeah. creatures. Well, that's and augmented. People reality. were like running out into the streets, getting hit by cars, search, you know, trying to catch these things. Yeah. 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 That's a that's a great segue to, you know, that's a great example of geofencing. Um, and if you think about it, and this is something that I've, you know, always uh, you know, really intrigued me. This idea that, you know, there's all kinds of hidden history. I mean, everywhere, every place you walk, right? Especially if you're in any kind of a city, mm -hmm. so much stuff that's happened on that city block, you know? Yeah. But it's absolutely invisible, right? But one could imagine a geofencing application that lets you start compiling information say let's everybody in the neighborhood put information about what happened where and then when you walk around you're notified oh you just passed the place where jojo got mugged you know oh, you just, that's great you know um <laughs> you're you in the wrong crossed, neighborhood you, you you are now on an ancient indian trail yeah right? yeah you just you just crossed like in boston back bay was all fill that was all ocean whole part of the city was ocean Right. You are now crossing into what used to be ocean. You know, that, there's well, so they, much. Don't they have that? Like, I feel like I've seen digital ghost tours or, you know, where it's like you can do a tour of the city using digital technology. You don't need a tour guide anymore. There's a million little hacks. You know, there's yeah. a million apps that take advantage of this in one way or another. Yeah. Um, I always get really excited thinking about a general purpose platform right yeah because you know i don't know that's just how that's how where my mind goes yeah um, i don't know if you're familiar with open street maps um no. okay so open street maps is now uh, a map of the world's roads so every road in the world a lot um and it's more up to date than google's map oh wow and it's free Okay. And it's collaboratively built by people, kind of like Wikipedians, but for mapping, right? Uh, okay. Who just love building public goods. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I mean, that's, I love, I mean, I love all, I love that stuff. I love, you know, I love OpenStreetMaps and Wikipedia and yeah. the whole idea of building something you know, that, that everyone can contribute to and it just gets better because, because um, well, in the open source software world, I don't know if you're familiar with open source software. Yeah. You are? Okay. Um, so there's a saying, there's, a, there's an expression, um, many eyes make bugs shallow. 
and it basically um, it's it's really an argument for transparency of anything that you want to be very high quality. And for a while, it, you know, oh, soft software was not considered in that area. Software was considered considered something to be proprietary. It would be for a business. It would be a patent around it. Um, and then starting in the in the 80s and 90s, this idea of having open source software got going. Um, by the way, there's a very interesting whole world of open source GIS software, which is good to know about. Um, provides a provides a extremely rich way for anybody to just start building GIS apps. Um, and and many of the proprietary and many of the commercial platforms like Esri are also embracing open source. And um, so yeah, I mean it's a great time to well how do you how do you make sure that the people are accurately portraying what's there? You know, like what if somebody because I mean I've I've been on some, you know, you'll be driving somewhere and it says you can get through this road here and then you get there and it's a there's a farm and you can't drive, you can't drive through the fence. Hey, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, nothing's perfect, but if you've got a company that's throwing thousands of people at these things, um, or you have thousands of, of volunteers in the case of Wikipedia or um, you know, open street maps, you're gonna yeah. many, many eyes make the bug shallow. And so if yeah. something gets erroneously put there, something isn't complete, chances are pretty good someone's gonna come along and fix it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Similar to Waze, yeah. right? Like when you use Waze, yeah. it'll it'll be like there's a cop here, slow down. And that's right. So Waze is a closed system, but within Waze, they've got incredible intelligence that's Crowd sourced, yeah. sourced intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Was this yeah. reliable? Was there a police officer here? No. All right. Get on to the next. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, cool. that's revolutionary. I, I would never use it, of course. But. Oh, I use it all the time. I love it. I was <laughs> <No, just> kidding. <laughs> um, how, what What got you into this field? Well, like, like from the beginning, how did I? How did I get or into? Just like I mean, because I mean, obviously, this technology is relatively new, you know, in, in our lifetimes, but it's like, what was it before? Like what got you oh, in, yeah. into geospatial technology? Okay. So, I mean, as a kid, I always loved taking stuff apart and building stuff. Like I, I started with bikes. Actually, I started with my family's old radios and appliances and then bikes, and then I started building go-karts. I learned how to weld, bought, built mini bikes. You know, I just, I was, I just loved that stuff. And I didn't know what I really wanted to do after college and kind of stumbled into a graduate program in planning because um, I, I, I hit it off with, with <laughs> the professor and I started um, he hired me to paint his house and he just hit it off. And then um, one thing led to another. I mean, it was really serendipitous and, and, um, and got it. So one of the first things that struck me, first of all, that was really the first time I was, so this is the late eighties. First time I'd ever used a computer. I mean, there really weren't computers 
until then. I mean, the, I, I had an old Radio Shack laptop that my dad, my dad was an early adopter. I think I got it from him. Like he had a laptop in 1979. Wow. From Radio Shack. Okay. And um, it had a tape deck for the backup track. A cassette tape. You used a cassette. So you would save, you would type on this little screen, you'd save, and then you'd hear this cassette tape start going. <laughs> and that's, that, had, that had been my, you know, and, and so I was actually, like, I knew more about computers than a lot of my friends did, but that was where things were, right? Yeah. So I get yeah. to graduate school, and, like, we had these real, like, early, early IBM computers. And uh, I took one of the first courses I took was a GIS course. And uh, with this guy, John Radke, who I, who, who actually, you know, quite hit it off with at the beginning. And I was like, and we were starting to build maps in these computers. Wow. And we were using something called CAD, computer-aided design, which is still yep. what they use for building architectural structures. But back then, there really wasn't GIS. You would build things in CAD. They would be two-dimensional polygons, and then you would then you would connect a database to those polygons. So we were like creating early GISs. That's cool. Esri was just starting up, um, and not long after that, in fact, John Radke had a lab where he had early versions of Esri ArcInfo software, and that was really the way to go. So. But what, what happened when I discovered computers, I suddenly realized that I wasn't limited by the physical world in building physical things. Mm -hmm. That just blew my mind. Like yeah. I could make a map that was a one-to-one, -one, you know how maps always have a scale? Yeah, yeah. You know, one to 20,000, right? Right. One inch on the map equals 20,000 in the real world because you can't put all the detail in there on a piece of paper, right? It'd be ridiculous. Can't, you can't have a full-scale ma map of the United States. You can't States. have a full-scale map of the world. It would be the size of the world, right? But in a computer, you can have a full-scale one-to-one map. Right. You can map anything. Now, whether you're gonna go and map everything or not is another <laughs> question, but what it means is you're not limited. And that just blew my mind that I could do that. And so that's that's when I decided, okay, that I'm. You know, I ended up like doing my master's thesis with in GIS, and then went off and um, my was John Radke wasn't allowed to build a GIS lab at Penn, and um, but Berkeley made him an offer, and so the year I graduated was the year he left Penn and went to Berkeley and took five or six of his students with him to start up a lab out in Berkeley. So moved out there and started working on projects. And um, that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. And, and so like, I mean, beyond, you know, cause, cause it's like now before GPS, it was a different world, right? You know, like trying to map the world before GPS, how has, that kind of transformed what you do because yeah, I, I, I mean like i remember when i was a kid my dad you know, we used to go camping a lot 
and we'd be driving down these roads and there was telephone poles everywhere. And my dad was like, if only there was like a mechanism that was on each telephone pole and then that would create, we'd be able to create maps of the world, right? And wow, of where we were going. And that was way before GPS and now GPS is here, you know, and now yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. we don't even think twice about it. Right, right, right. Well, still, you know, GPS does some things, but it doesn't do everything. So if you want to survey something, you don't mm -hmm. use GPS. Like if you want to get the exact, you know, bounds of your property, you know, or you want to do something accurately, you're still going to use survey techniques. Okay. Um, but yes, you know, before I would say as important as GPS was satellite imagery. You know, because um, mm -hmm. satellite imagery came along a little before GIS, uh, uh, G uh, GPS, quite a bit before actually. You have we have pretty high resolution imagery from the 60s. That was um, that was Defense Department stuff. Yeah, spy um, spy camps, military, spy spy military spy stuff. The, yeah, exactly. Which is actually really interesting stuff for archaeological purposes, because if you can look and see what a place looked like in the 60s, um, you can often see all kinds of things that you can't see now. Wow. Um, in fact, our former director here uh, for our center. Um, was a was a, a landscape archaeologist basically um, is is one and um, mapped maps and still maps early cities some of the earliest cities in northern Iraq using using that stuff but yeah. um yeah I mean satellite yeah, did imagery they, and did then they GPS. say they found they found using imagery global imagery they said they found the ark Noah's ark. Have you seen have you seen those photos? I, well, I've seen that off and on, like for the last 30 years, people making you see it from overhead and it looks you're like, wow, that kind of looks like something. Oh, is this a recent one? I, I'm it's probably not recent. I just came, I stumbled across it recently, but it was just interesting because from yeah. above it yeah. looks like a giant ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, I mean, <laughs> it could be it. <laughs> um yeah, but I mean, all these, you know, when you get computers involved, whether mm -hmm. it's you know, satellite imagery or, or, or GPS, it changes the game, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. because then you have ways of gathering information without a person walking out there in the field. Right. And having to use a sextant or a survey device or, uh, you know, can you imagine the British, they surveyed India back, way back. That's so crazy. The whole country, including the Himalayas. That's crazy. Including ending up with a very accurate estimate for the heights, heights of various mountains there, including Mount Everest. I mean, can you imagine, yeah. like, without any computer equipment? Like, it's one thing to hike up to the top of Mount Everest, right? That's right. one thing to hike up there. That's damn difficult. <laughs> but to, like, figure out how, how, exactly how far above sea level that is? Yeah. You have to do some insane mathematics. And that brings up another really, I mean, this is just a complete side note, but I mean, that, that brings up a good point. Are computers making us dumb? Are they dumbing yeah. us down? Because yes. we're, not, we're not using our brains like we used to. Yes, it's, <laughs> no, it's very obvious. And I'm not even, I think it's actually a serious thing that we should actually spend. I mean, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a light topic. It's actually something, it's true. So yeah. have you noticed that when you use GPS, you often don't end up learning where you are? Oh, 100%. Or how you, or how you got there? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember you know, think, when I 
worked in LA, I had a, I forget the name of the book, but it was a, it was basically a book of maps of the whole city. And you would just study it and figure out, okay, I got to go here. And then I've got to go left here. And you got to know where you were, where now it's just like, plug in the address. We'll, you know, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm you know, right. now that phone's so going to tell me exactly nice, where to go. There's a nice harmless example of not knowing where you are or how the F you got there. That's a harmless example, right? Yeah. What if it happens in other realms of human use, psychology, where you're on a social media platform so much, you are locked into a virtual, not even real version of reality, like a gaming version, like yeah. what we're talking about GP, GIS, which is actually a virtual w- version of real reality, right? Yeah. But most people, most of the time when they're on computers, which is now an insane amount of their day, are actually locked into a version of reality that is often doesn't have a lot to do with reality. Yeah, that's scary. Right? And so imagine, imagine how that problem with GI, GPS, not knowing where you are, could could disorient people in other ways but you're to your point of getting lost in the real world because you have you're, you're depending on your gps to get you there and you don't really know where you are that could play out in a virtual world this podcast is brought to you by turbine the company that's linking the physical and digital worlds using the internet of things Turbine is the largest system of sensor data from around the world, powering everything from electric vehicles to improved air quality and self-driving big rigs. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. What, um, so what are you working on these days? What, what, what projects are you working on? So um, right now, I'm, uh, I'm working with a group at the uh, Harvard School of Public Health on a, a web portal that will provide um, uh, a huge amount of uh, health data to, uh, on India to, um, to the world, but it, it's, it's especially aimed at, at people in India. And this, this project is... Um, Funded by the Gates Foundation, and it's and we're in collaboration with the Indian government on it. It's pretty pretty exciting. Top secret? No, 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 no. Oh. It's called India Policy <laughs> Insights. It's um, it, they I think there's a link now on the uh, minister's website. Okay. On uh, on Modi's website. Um, now let's see. Another another project is um, kind of in the proposal stages. Um, to build a system that lets anybody zoom into any part of the United States and get reasonable estimates for climate change related hazards uh, for that location. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the context and the, and, the, and the primary audience is people who, have, who are in, the, in a position to uh, preserve cultural resources. So museums, park, people, you know, park service, national historic registry, 
you know, county, state, and, and federal historical commissions um, and that kind of thing. So the idea is um, not to try to come up with, um, uh, uh, not to try to map all cultural resources, which is pretty much impossible. Um, plus, you know, <laughs> as soon as you said you were done, you'd have somebody say, hey, you didn't include my favorite, whatever. Um, <laughs> Um, but, um, but the idea is to tell, give the people a reasonable science-based understanding of what the hazards are over, you know, hopefully, you know, 10, 50 year, you know, looking forward, okay, the chance of, you know, if you're near, near a coastal area, you know, storm surge, to add up all the chances of that happening in the next 50 years and you're planning for that time, you know, mm -hmm. what's the chance you're going to need to think about that? wildfire in the in other parts of the United States and other kind of and flooding um, you know and then ha have a way for um, people to know what to do next gotcha is the idea for that um, and then if the like if te this technology was used in a perfect world where there was no incentives no corruption what how do you see this technology moving forward? Like if in a perfect world? Um, well, um, I think my, my biggest concern is, is having GIS used or geospatial information or any data used um, um, in ways that don't have any accountability behind them. So, for example, um, I, I mean, I, I really believe that transparency works. Um, that's how science works, right? You, you, you say that something is possible and then you write a paper so that other people can reproduce it and they can, if they can't reproduce it, they say, hey, this isn't working and it, it doesn't go anywhere. So that's, right. that's how science works. And that's how law works in this country, Yeah. right? You, you, have, a you have a body of law, New law has to be based on existing law, and you have to make your case, right? You can't just come up with something out of the blue. It's open source software. You know, um, if you wanna, if you're doing science with software, you need to know how they got the results. You need to look at the code. Um, I think with AI, um, we should have regulations that say if you're building a system that is going to impact people's lives, the public. There needs to be transparency in how your AI works. Yeah. Be a black box. Yeah. That's a simple, I mean, it's 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 not simple to implement. Well, I mean, you know, you could argue it is simple to implement. If you say, if you say that's what we need to do, if people understand how important that might be, you know, then then you know it's doable. The tech companies go, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I want to do but 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 really. Yeah. I mean, then you just got to follow the money. Then you got to follow we, the money. We, and yeah, I mean, we, we, were, we, we allow businesses to have their secret sauce in all kinds of areas where yeah. the public isn't harmed if there isn't full transparency. Yeah, yeah. But if you're in an area where the public is harmed when, when black boxes are used um, in, in the, and, and those black boxes guide people's behavior, 
at scale, at massive scale, you know, then so 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 my answer to that is um, transparency. Transparency. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on and, and giving us insight into this topic. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. Yeah.